Thanks for tuning in. Going to be getting started here for the day. Okay, looks like we're good all across the board. So, I'll tell you, I'm having a blast translating the Bible and checking out all the different nuances of different manuscripts and things like that. And it is fascinating uh, discovering some things that, ah, uh, see, the world believes that the message of the Bible has been maintained, but it's interestingly enough, that's not what Christ says. Christ says that uh, not the least jot of the letter will will disappear from the law, but he doesn't say it's going to be perfectly maintained throughout all 3,000 different versions of the Bible, right? He says there will be original copies, right? And those copies of those copies, right? Essentially, right? So that the original message can be propagated. But when you see how much has changed, and it seems like every every few 300 years, something like that, right? Then, uh, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating. There's a lot of omitted content, right? You'll see a verse that has uh, in certain, some manuscripts, and the manuscripts differ one from another, right? Uh, back when the versions of the Bible are hand transcribed, right? The versions differ from one version to another. So, uh, you know, you've got the, the hurdle of uh, learning and knowing Greek. You've got the hurdle of uh, working out, uh, taking the time to work out the translations. And it does take a good amount of time. But what you'll see is that uh, with these uh, older manuscripts is that uh, <clears throat> the, the verses differ slightly. And sometimes, right, there's omitted content. There's, there's, uh, the verse just says something completely different than what has uh morphed right into the modern version of the Bible. And so I think it's super fascinating. I'm having a great time with it. Uh, even though, right, it doesn't really pay the, the greatest, right? But hey, that's that's part of uh, doing, doing the Lord's work, right? Sometimes in life, right, you just want to contribute something beneficial to help the world. And I guess that's what I'm doing right now, right? And uh, it's pretty fascinating because people, you know, uh, they may try and, uh, you know, steal your content or uh, things like that. And really, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, sheesh, good luck. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really time consuming work and it's, uh, I wouldn't say that most people in the world would be really uh, intrigued by it, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jesus freak. What can I say? I, I love God and I love uh, getting those accurate translations of the Bible out there. Right. I think that's something that God wants. I think that's what as Christians we're called to do some of the time, right? Not uh, like you are forced. Oh, you're Christian. Oh, you're forced to preach 80 hours a week. No, that's not, it's not how God wants it, right? It's it's a certain percentage of the time, right? We're serving God as Christians continuously, continuously all the days of our lives, right? right? We're remaining in that Christian state, in that unstoppable God state that that is obtained from working with God, right? And but uh, it's it's not. Uh, 
solely, solely, only working for God, right? You can absolutely build a business for God or uh, uh, go do missionary work for God, right? It's not, oh, I just have to preach or I just have to do missionary work or I just have to live how Christ lived. That's not the, that's not how it is, but there is a, uh, a certain amount of spiritual purity, spiritual righteousness required, right? Where you have to get those sins out, right? You have to rinse the cup clean so that you can get less of the sin and more of God, right? And uh, in the Bible, right, sometimes you'll see, uh, suggestions of of perfection being demanded that's not that's not correct right god's not uh god's not um requiring perfection right the the standard uh to enter heaven or to reach exaltation to gain god's favor right is uh is reachable it's obtainable by all mankind right and these are uh the basic theologies of christianity where we are able to reach the heights that God uh, set for us in our lives. And applying the ways of God to your life, right? These ways uh, of, of, well, they're spiritual ways. And they're, they're the, well, they're, let's get one second here. Got to turn that off. Okay. Well, the ways of God, well, they're very effective, right? When you apply them to aspects of your life, don't be shocked if your life starts to thrive, if certain areas of your life start to boom, because that is what God's ways do, right? And you have to understand, right, God teaches us. He displays these ways to us out of love, out of the love of God. We are offered, right, this relationship where God will start walking with us. God will start tutoring us. God will start teaching us where to go. I remember uh, when I was pulling books and I would do, when I was younger, I would do these uh, uh trips to UC Berkeley or, or UC Davis. And these are uh, very, very uh, prestigious schools uh, with great libraries. I mean, the UC Berkeley library is awesome. I'll tell you, it is uh, five stories high of just stacks. And on campus, right, there's probably three libraries, right? Uh, in addition to that five-story library. So I'm a, I'm a knowledge buff. I love knowledge. I love wisdom. I, I want to keep seeking it, right? Well, the Bible says, seek wisdom, get knowledge. And Solomon as one of the prophets. I like Solomon. I, I'm not so so uh, keen on on his fall. And I might I might later present some, some interesting uh, content on that. But what is fascinating is that, right, the Bible tells us to seek wisdom and get knowledge, but it's not often what people want to hear, right? Hey, God's telling you to go to the library and study. Hey, God's telling you, get ready. Life's going to be hard. It's going to try and, 
it's going to try and devour you. It's going to try to hold you back. You're going to have to battle against armies on all sides. And guess what? Because you're Christian, you're going to have to battle against the spiritual as well. And you're going to make some enemies because you're Christian, right? And an interesting, interesting thing you can sort of point out is Christ suggests that the world itself will, will hate you, right? But if you're going around telling people, hey, all your sins forgiven, you, you definitely go to heaven, right? which is a false, a doctrine of demons. It is a false modern Christian theology, right? Uh, why would anyone hate you? They say, okay, all right, thanks, man. <laughs> Great, I was, I'm, I'm going to heaven, wonderful. All right. But it doesn't really make much sense. But if you actually read accurate scriptures, right, out of the 3,000 versions of the Bible that there are out there, some of the versions, uh, corrupted versions of the Bible, they have uh, the, the teaching all sins forgiven in them. That's not what Christ says, right? Christ says, cut off your right hand, or it's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven maimed than to have your whole body thrown into hell, right? And so understanding, right, the scriptures have been changing, right? The original, right, the oldest Bibles that we have, they haven't really changed much, but uh, the newer Bibles, they have changed, right? And after interpretation, after interpretation, right, I did that uh, one, a uh, one 500 period year analysis of, uh, I think it's Ephesians 2, 4, or Ephesians 4, 2, something like that. And, you know, the video is, has God been a changing, right? And the Bible suggests that God doesn't change. But what you see even if you just quickly pull up a Bible parallel with a few, let's say, 20 versions of the Bible uh, side by side, and, uh, you know, you can use Bible Hub, you can use Bible Reference, there's tons of them, and they're very, very useful. Even if you just use those and don't really go into the deep ancient Greek, uh, well, what you will find is that every version is different. And so when you jump into that pool, right? What you understand is that each gospel is different. Each Bible is different, obviously. In about a minute, you can tell that each each Bible is different. They're similar. Some of them are similar, but then again, some of them are opposite. And so when you are going through these 3,000 versions of the Bible, what you'll find is that some of them, many of them, present different religions than just Christianity. And it's not exactly beneficial, right, to tell someone a lie in their life and say, right, oh, uh, for example, let's say if one version of the Bible, which uh, there are versions out there, right, uh, that suggest different opposite theologies, right? Some suggest seek knowledge, get wisdom. Perhaps there's other versions out there that suggest, you know, God will do it for you, right? And, and actually that is, there are some versions, right? If you see uh, the King James Version itself has a, has a common theme throughout the Bible, don't strive, right? It says uh, in some places, don't strive, 
But then in other places, the King James Version itself also says, strive. And so which is it, right? If God's telling you to seek wisdom and get knowledge, well, obviously, right, God wants us working hard. He wants us developing our lives uh, to a point that is happy, uh, to a point that is joyous, right? That is the fourth commandment, thou shalt work six days a week, right? And what this means is, right, get your hours in, right? Uh, you know, 48, 50 hours a week is not so high a bar, considering, uh, you know, some places, uh, Japan, I believe they work 60 hours a week, something like that. But it is a sincere work ethic that will benefit ourselves. Now, it's not what people want to hear, right? But it is the truth. And you can tell someone, right, you can edit the Bible to present something more like God will do it for you. But really what you're going to be doing to those people's lives is severely damaging the lives of those who will follow that sort of false teaching, right? If God does not change, therefore, right, the ways of God do not change. So all that is going to change is that mankind is going to have fooled one of his brothers or sisters into damaging their lives, swindling them, whatever, right? So understanding this is, is why it's so important to get accurate doctrine taught in our nation, right? It's why it's so important to get accurate doctrine taught in our schools. It's why it's so important to teach accurate doctrine in our churches. And what I am uh, learning and experiencing in my life is that I think I found one not, not corrupt church uh, in my life, maybe two. And I've been to a lot of churches. And so I don't know. I'm not sure if they just don't understand accurate Christian theology. I'm not sure if they just, right, They it's accurate Christian theology, right? Me telling you, hey, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to work, right? That's not what people want to hear, right? People aren't going to, you tell someone that, they'll say, yeah, I could hear that at school. I don't want to hear that, you know? Uh, and they won't pay you for it. And because it doesn't pay, people won't teach it. And, it, and in that, in that crux, right, in that sort of uh, dynamic, is where you find a lot of corruption, a lot of teachers twisting the scriptures just a little bit, thinking they can get away with it, thinking uh, X, Y, Z, it won't hurt anybody. Maybe they're ignorant, right? Best case scenario, they're ignorant. Maybe they're, they're one of those people who've had a hundred warnings and they just ignored all the warnings and said, it couldn't be me. I'm just going to keep going. I like money more than I like people's lives, people's souls, right? And that's, those people are out there too. Uh, yeah. Those are evil people. They are corrupt. They're agents of the devil, right? And you have to understand that uh, at some point, right, those people, they either repent or, as Christ suggests, they suffer the greater damnation, right? Uh, that's, that's in Matthew somewhere. But you have to understand that, right, love is not willing to teach someone something that's going to damage them, right? The first and second commandment are to love, right? Love and love. First commandment, love. Second commandment, love. So Christianity, right, we love and love. And that's what the religion is all about. 
That's the foundation of God's religion. It's loving each other, teaching each other, guiding each other, not swindling people, not being willing to sell them something that would damage them because it would bear a negative effect on someone you love's life. For example, your grandchildren, your kids, right? That probably, probably ain't going to sit well with many people, but there will be some people out there who will be willing. Still, right? And when you see the bad fruit, right, the good fruit to the bad fruit, it sets, well, it sets a space. It sets a chasm between us and them, right? Christians, out of love, were not willing to damage other people. Not, not purposefully, right? We're not perfect, and so Christians, right, will we'll have outbursts and say things that are maybe a little thoughtless sometimes, etc., right? But the Christian faith, it speaks about refining those things out and uh, getting, getting those getting our words saturated in love. But love, right, it's not the only part of Christianity. Indeed, while Christians, right, the first part of Christianity is love, second part of Christianity is love, right? Every now and then, right, there is discipline. There is a need for someone to teach a lesson, right? And someone says, I'm not listening to love. I've had, I've had so much love, I don't have to change my ways. I'll just do whatever I want in this uh, state of, so-called state of love, right? And that's always very fascinating because this is when the other aspects of the religion come in. Discipline, rebuke, right? Uh, punishment, right? Leviticus 26 is blessings for obedience. God talking to his people. Blessings for obedience, punishments for disobedience. And this dynamic, interestingly enough, is founded. It is part of reality. You will have blessings in your life for doing what's good, and there will be punishments in your life for doing what's bad. And uh, this is also right further reflected in uh, any society's legal system, etc., and so it's really fascinating when you're looking over the ways of the world, the ways of God, right? You're looking at the ways of God, you're looking at the ways of the world, and you're looking at the ways of mankind. And from there, you can sort of start to gain a pretty firm grasp on understanding, on wisdom and knowledge, right? And so uh, a, a person who is being extremely lazy, right, in in periods of our life, I know I'm guilty in some periods of my life. Uh, you know, you sit, you're binging uh, TV series uh, for uh, a week straight, and, man, your brain is fried. You, your brain, brain feels like scrambled eggs. You haven't used it for anything. You're feeling, you're feeling lethargic, you know what I'm saying? And, right, after a while, that, right, the world, God, God's design sort of shows up and kicks the person, says, hey, you're feeling lethargic. You don't feel good, right? I certainly didn't feel good or productive when I was doing back when I would do things like that, right? But it's pretty fascinating when you realize, hey, God made the world. 
The world is designed to keep man moving. It's designed to teach mankind the ways. And there are the ways of God, right? There are the ways of the world, and there are the ways of a society, right? And these things differ, but not always. For example, Bible says be hardworking, i.e. not lethargic, not slothful. And the world being created by God also says don't be slothful, don't be lethargic, you'll end up on the street homeless, right? And then society also reinforces that. And so God did not make the Bible nor the ways of the Bible too complex to understand. And uh, when I'm translating some of these older manuscripts, they are simple. And it's sort of beautiful. They are very basic, basic uh, language, right? Layman's terms so that uh, a man could understand them if they picked it up and read it in some areas, not in all areas of the, of the scripture, but in some areas it is just this guy was the father of this guy. This guy was the father of this guy. This guy was the father of this guy, right? No begot, no begotten, right? It's very, very simple language. And so breaking that down, right, is it's kind of fascinating because when you look at uh, some different, for example, King James, right? This guy begot this guy, this guy begotten this. It gets sort of uh, difficult to understand sometimes, right? And I understand, right, old English is, it's a little bit different than, than what we use today, but it's just sort of fascinating, right? While, while uh, the, the older manuscripts of the Bible, in some areas, right, they have that sort of artistry in the writing. King James, right, it has that sort of artistry, that sort of artfulness, that sort of artful wording in the sentence structures of the verses quite often. Whereas older manuscripts, they sort of just lay it out there. This guy was the father. This was the father. This was the father. She had she had a baby. You know, she had the baby, Jesus. And, and I think it's pretty fascinating uh, studying it all. It gives you, it's a great way to, to learn the Bible, to really get the Bible's contents to sink deep within your mind so that you understand it, so that you can preach it, so that you don't end up saying uh, Moses was the father of nations or, or something foolish like uh, Abraham parted the Red Seas, you know, something like that. And so if you are looking to preach, which is asked, right, Christ says, go out teaching the nations, preaching, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So it's not preaching all the time, but sometimes, right, as Christians, we are called, we are asked by Christ to preach, to teach, to lead people, right? To help people, to be like Christ. That is what Christians are. That's what we choose to be. We are choosing to be like Christ, surrendering the ways of mankind, right? Surrendering lust, surrendering greed, surrendering slothfulness, surrendering hatred, etc. And you're getting all that junk out. And when you get that junk out, let me tell you, you're going to feel great. You're going to have room for God. And when God gets working with you, things get moving in your life. Things start to change, right? The blocked doorways swing open. The uh, 
the mountains of your life become downhill slopes, etc. Things start to change, right? And uh, it's a pretty good uh, companion, right? God is a pretty dang good companion as you walk through your life. And uh, the degree of which you push into, right? I want to give God 10% of my life. I want to give God 20% of my life. I want to give God 50% of my life, etc. It's pretty interesting because the more you press into God, the more you're going to receive. You will feel a sort of dynamic where if you press into God with your hundred percent, ah, he's going to, he's going to be working with you quite adamantly. Whereas if you're giving God your 5%, right. And right. Maybe you're busy doing something else, building a business for God, etc. But, uh, when you give him 5%, right. He might be off doing something else. Right. So understanding that, that dynamic of, fully commit fully committed to god oh yeah which which uh sort of jumps me over to omitted these um, this omitted content i found in some of these prophecies spoken by the prophets i'm i'm just going over the book of matthew for a second time and uh it would it would be shocked but uh understanding that uh right God is love. These these ways that God is are te- is, he, is teaching us that God is teaching us if they're for our own good, right? They will lead you to that happy life. I mentioned uh, right slothfulness not very being very beneficial previously, but that's the case, right? For all God's ways, for get, getting bitterness out, like Paul suggests in Ephesians, staying rich in love, saturating our words in love and grace, right? Being gentle, edifying, building each other up, right? These are all extremely good, extremely powerful parts of Christianity. But you have to know when to use the gears of love, which is about 80, 90, 95% of the time. And when sometimes you need to tell someone something different, right? And this is uh, the rebuking, right? But what you'll find is that mankind, they really want to rebuke people and they don't really want to sit in the realms of love as much as they ought to, right? And so getting the love down first, that is the most important part of the religion. Well, one of the most important parts, right? God is first love is second right in that order and understanding this is extremely important as you walk through life right you want to stay rooted deeply rooted in that loving state that positive state you have a positive loving state in your life you will have a positive life that you love right love implies a deeper sort of effort, a more sincere amount of effort than just saying, I love you. It implies I'll work 
I'll provide, I'll help, I'll be there for you, right? Etc., etc., etc. And so when you start applying the ways of love to your life, God's divine love, you will become an unstoppable force, right? You will become sometimes an immovable object. Sometimes, right, you'll just straight out surrender. That is what uh, walking with God uh, brings to the table, right? Sometimes people would just surrender, right? But that's not always the case. Sometimes people get very stubborn. They harden their hearts. They want to do it their own way instead of just surrendering to the wisdom of God and saying, God, I know you're wiser. I know you're smarter than I am. And so I'm going to do it your way. And this Sol King, King Solomon suggests that this is the beginning of all wisdom, knowing that God's got you covered, knowing that God does what he does for a purpose, right? And it's trust in God and loving God that leads Christians out of wisdom to surrender. And, right, there are things that God asks, right? Seek wisdom, get knowledge, be very loving, right? Uh, give, be grace, saturate your words in grace, etc., etc., etc. And this is why it's important to read your Bible, because without these verses, without reading the verse that says edifying each other, right? Well, you might not know what the word edifying means. It means to build each other up, to talk each other up, right? And, and so you might not be practicing that in your life. But when you really slow down, when you read the Bible and read these solid verses one after another, and apply them to your life, the world will shift. Your life will be elevated, and the chains that held you back in your life will break by the hand of God walking into your life. When God walks into your life, you better be ready. You better be ready for the change. You better be ready for that polar shift. You better be ready for the love of God to come and conquer whatever God set out to conquer. That's how it works. One day, a pauper. The next day, a king. One day, Elijah the prophet was starving to death. He was starving to death. He, he, he laid down to die and an angel of the Lord brought him a meal to keep him going, to raise him up, to sustain him. This is what it's like walking with God sometimes, right? If God chooses to do something, that's the second it'll be done in your life. Now, waiting for God's timing can be difficult. Walking forward, having the faith to keep going while God is in the process of shaping you, while he is molding you into the shape he wants you, right? His design, his plan, his ways, not our own.
That can take patience. It can take faith. It can take commitment to God, right? A deep commitment to God. It can take a commitment to keeping ourselves positive in those places of patience, in those places of waiting on the Lord, right? But it's important to understand that we as Christians, we are servants to God, not the other way around. No matter how much we wish, right, God was our servant, right? That's not how it works. Christians, we are touching the divine. We are reaching out to the Lord God of Israel. Out of his benevolence, out of his grace, into the realms of love, mercy, kindness, so that we can learn from him, so that we can imitate him, so that we can grow in the ways of God into the perfect man, <laughs> uh, into that sort of elevated state where God is leading us. And he's leading us and he'll get you there, but you've got to keep walking with God. You've got to keep following God. You've got to keep those negative thoughts out. You've got to surrender the negative thoughts and say, I don't want a negative life. I will not have, I will not allow myself to think those life polluting thoughts, those thoughts of negativity that have been holding me back. I'm not enough. I'm not going to make it. I don't have enough of this to do it. I'm not smart enough, etc., etc., etc. And replace those thoughts with the thoughts of positivity. I am smart enough. God is with me. Nothing can stop me. Right? And when you get into that sort of positive Christian faith-filled lifestyle, there's nothing that can stop you. Whatever you set out to accomplish, you will accomplish. That is what working with God results in. You become the unstoppable force. You become an agent, a servant of the one true living God, a God of love, right? And so what you set out for, right, it may be a tall order. Well, then get ready to work. Right? God says, oh, no problem, but you're going to have to go battle the leader of an army in order to get that. No problem. I'll get you there. I'll get you there. And with faith, you'll be delivered. But you're going to have to take down a nine foot tall giant first. Yep. God will get you there. Abraham walked with God. It said that Abraham had so much faith, right? It said that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham, he could have, right, he could have turned back when he was 40 years old and said, ah, this is all God's God for me, right? But Abraham didn't. Abraham, day in and day out, through the times of doubt, through the times of worry, he got up and he kept going. He kept walking forward. He just kept walking forward with God, and it was credited to him as righteousness because he, he would not surrender. He would not give the devil foothold in his mind, right, by giving the devil a place for negativity, a place for hatred, a, a place for bitterness within Abraham's temple. 
Abraham just kept going. He kept walking forward with God. And lo and behold, who appears to Christ uh, when, when the coming of Christ? Abraham, right? And so Abraham is one of the characters in the Bible that we know gained entrance into heaven. Uh, it's not suggested many, we not for certain, right? But as you can imagine, right, the book of Revelations uh, suggests that there will be a great, a great multitude beyond, beyond uh, our own ability to count, clothed in white with the Lamb, right, with God. And so understanding, right, the ways of God are not trickery, right? They're not going to produce bad fruit. They're not going to produce bad fruit. They're not going to harm people's lives. They're not going to uh, lead people astray. They're, they're going to benefit people's lives. They're going to help the people you teach them to who apply them, right? And so you have to understand, right? God is teaching us. God is loving us. He is displaying his love as he is teaching us, as he is walking with us, as he is saying, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm showing you my nature. I'm revealing my divine nature so that you can follow my divine ways, which will be extremely beneficial on your life, right? This is what the, the found, one of the foundations of Christianity, right? We serve God. Well, why do Christians serve God? Because he's an incredibly good God. Because we've seen the power of God move in our lives. We've seen the goodness, the incredible goodness of God flowing in our lives. And once you get a taste of that, once you get a taste of that reckless love of God, where he'll keep working with you even when you feel like you're nothing. He'll keep, God will keep working with you even when you feel like, God, why don't you just leave me? Why don't you just leave me how I am? God will keep walking with you. That's who God is. That's why he's followed by over 40% of the entire earth, right? He's leading you to be like him. He's showing you how he wants you to act, how he wants you to be on the inside. At the core of your spirit, he's showing you who he wants you to be. That is who God is. That is the greatness of God, and he's doing it out of a pure, good love, not because he wants something from you, not because he's trying to get you to do something for him, but because he's just that good. That's just how good God is. And in like manner, he wants us to be that good. He wants Christians to act out of that pure, radiant, divine core. And he wants us to take that with us as we go throughout the world and display it for people and teach them and lead them. When someone says, I don't know much about God, say, hey, let me teach you a thing or two. God is love. God is goodness. God is willing to help you, right? These are the core foundations of the Christian faith. They're what's most important, right? And so... You know, my preaching, I'm all over the place with all sorts of different uh, different topics, but the core foundation 
The first steps of becoming Christian is that reckless divine love of God, that connection with God, and learning how to remain in that loving state, in that divine state at all times in your life. And that's a lot harder to do than you might think. And it does take time. We, we are, we as Christians, right, we're not immediately perfect Christians. We're practicing our Christianity and remaining mindful of it so that we can grow in it. And the more you grow in it, the more you press in, the better you get at it. And so I think that's it for the day, guys. Blessings on you all. Always remember how much God loves each and every one of you. And thanks for tuning in.